Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 268 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. And we have no Jaime Lopez today. He is nowhere to be found. So, yeah. He's driving in his, on his couch at home somewhere. Is he driving at home? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. No, yeah, Maybe I, think not. He's, I think he's on the road training or something like that. Yeah. Anywho. Um, did it, yeah. So did it bring last, his couch? Sorry? Never mind. <laughs> on the couch? <laughs> has um, to be brought his couch. I don't oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's one of those portable couches. I don't know. Could he's be. A, you know, Maybe the digital yeah. nomad now that he's like, you know, on the, uh, what is it, the, uh, not evangelist side. He's on the, uh, what do you call it, Dev- developer relations or whatever? Or, uh, uh, Dev advocate. Dev advocate, yeah. yeah. We have a couple of fact check things from last week. Uh, we were talking about, I was talking about the, you know, the difference between, you know, what we pay for uh, gear in Canada for Apple gear. As, that's the one I can go by. And I've heard horror stories about, you know, expensive equipment in Europe and, and especially Australia. But, uh, and I was just, I was I remembered, thought back, you know, even when the Canadian dollar was higher than the U.S. I mean, I don't know when, if you remember, but when we first met back in 2010, the Canadian dollar was was higher than the U.S. We still paid an extra fifty dollars for every, mm. every piece of Apple gear. At least, I mean, and I don't, don't call me on fifty dollars. I'm mean, like fifty dollars per Mac, and you know, right. so fifty dollars for an iPhone. It wasn't was I mean, some things might have been more than that, but but yeah, it was still still expensive. I don't know if it's a, a duty or a tax or something that maybe the Canadian government's grabbing or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly possible. There's tariffs. We know that yeah. people have tariffs for things. These well, days. technically, you know the Apple gear hasn't been made. It was in, I mean, in the 80s and 90s, it was made in Ireland and then it was moved in China. So technically it's mm-hmm. not made in the U.S. So right. it wouldn't have fallen under the, the North American Free Trade Agreement, which is what we had back then, NAFTA, right? Right, right. But I'm sure there's other taxes. Yeah. Well, I mean, apparently shoes are, are really heavily taxed coming across the border. Hmm. Uh, yeah, well, I, I mentioned before that my, my sister-in-law lives in Woodstock, New Brunswick, and it's right next to Holton, Maine. In fact, she, her house is closer to Holton, Maine. Mm-hmm. And before they had a Walmart in Woodstock, she would drive across the border to, you know, get clothes and buy milk in the U.S., mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and she just, you know, one of the things you, you never mentioned that you bought shoes when you were there because it was like ridiculously, I think some, you know, something like 80% tariff or something like that. It was crazy pricing. But you're allowed to bring milk across the border? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah so I guess I groceries guess, or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the yeah, monkeys I, are swarming to our house right now. I don't think, yeah, I don't think they bought <laughs> meat and stuff like that. Well, this is like way before like even 9-11, yeah. so yeah, I'm, sure, mm-hmm. I'm sure the rules have changed quite a bit since then. Yep. Plus, statute of limitations is seven years in, here in Canada. I don't know what it is in the United States. I think, States, it's, but, I think it's seven years, too. Yeah, okay. So anyway, so that's the first thing. Second thing, I mentioned Shred, which is uh, uh, it's, it's actually SR uh, ampersand ED, or Shred, when we say Shred, mm-hmm. and it's the Scientific Research and Experimental Development Tax. That is a tax credit. Uh, I, I think I made the implication that it was free money. It's not. It's a it's a break on the taxes that you pay. Or, or it's, a, it's a tax break for companies who can claim 
claim that they're doing some unique new work that's not been done before uh, on a Canadian product. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it pretty much pays for a developer to salary, right? So which is significant when you think about it, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of work goes into into making those reports, though. Um, I also mentioned we were talking about SetApp last week, and I couldn't remember the name of the company that produces that. But SetApp and uh, Clean My Mac was actually by a company called MacPaw. I think they're out of mm-hmm. Europe, and uh, so they're the people behind SetApp. And we also talked about Matchbox cars. And when I was a kid, Matchbox was a UK brand, uh, along with Corgi and, and uh, Dinky Toy, which I mentioned. But uh, they were bought by um, Tyco. I don't know if you remember Tyco. And then sure. that is now owned by Mattel. So technically, it's mm-hmm. now an American brand, but mm-hmm. originally it was a, a UK brand. And when did that happen? Uh, 90s, I think. I've got the Wikipedia here. Like, quick, quick, quick look. Yeah, it started in 1953, uh, a die casting company. And then where did oh, it looks start? like 92 is when Mattel bought them. Yeah, yeah. Tyco was, I remember Tyco had little windy up cars too, right? So I guess the toy business is a tough, tough market, tough market, right? Mm. Yeah, that's that story behind that. Oh, yeah, okay. It's like in 92, in, let's see. So, so when Hyman was a kid, <laughs> he was it, American. Yeah, in 92, it got sold to Tyco and then to Mattel in 97. I, I 97, read that wrong. Yeah. But it looks like you, something called Universal. I'm scanning for that. What was Universal? I don't think it's a movie theater. Mm. Well, it's a Mattel brand no, now, right? I don't know. So. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yep. We had, we had Mattel toys. I, Jaime mentioned Hot Wheels. Of course, I had Hot Wheels when I was a kid. And yep, I had Hot Wheels. I had Matchbox cars. Yeah, too. yeah. I found a, I found a poster. I put it up on my uh, on. I think I put it on my Instagram. But uh, a poster from the uh, from '69 of you know the first California cool California cars, and mm. you know they had the Corvette and they had a, fir- a Firebird and the Mustang. Other. Yeah, and then they had a couple of had I I had a, a El Camino with with um, surfboards on the back. So I don't know why I actual had surfboards or pictures of surfboards. Little plastic, so, little plastic oh. surfboards. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't painted. They uh, were. No. Yeah. I lost those, you know, almost instantly when I had those as a kid. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we oh, had you had fault. the Matchbox version of it, not the. No, I had the, the Hot actual Wheels. Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels. Yeah, the not red the actual, Hot Wheels. Not the actual yeah. car. Yeah, I'll, 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 I can show you the picture in a bit. But uh, yeah. uh, anyway, so we uh, we were talking about uh, Worcestershire sauce. I'm saying yeah. it that way because we got an email from Mark Ambrose, yep. who is a 57 year old English developer, and he says here, "I love the show, my commute podcast, and knowing exactly how what you guys discussed, especially the old stuff." Um, he decided to email us because you know I don't know, but he he pointed out that Worcestershire, which is where Worcestershire sauce is from, is, yep. in the UK is pronounced Worcestershire sauce, which is how that video we talked about but he's got an interesting anecdote and i don't know if it's true or not well he says worcestershire not worcestershire worcestershire sure. like worcestershire. well sure we were saying yeah. char like you know like the char. oh yeah yeah, maybe we were. yeah i don't know it's one of those arguable things i was joking right. around when, when i first brought it up and and even just seeing it written though doesn't uh doesn't tell the whole story because the pronunciation of the u depends on where you're yeah. from too I, I know some british people around here yeah. who call the town that we call sunnyvale yeah. here they yeah. call it sunnyvale Sunnyvale. Sunnyvale. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so who knows how that U is actually pronounced? That well, he's it's funny. It's there. funny. <laughs> my uh, my number one fan of Spotcast is my my grandson Xavier, and uh, he's mm. been watching. He watched Top Gear for years, right? When he was a kid. Uh-huh. So you know, we all say Lancia cars. Of course, uh-huh. he says Lancia. Lancia. Lancia, which is the way the the, the Brits on that show say it, right? So mm. sounds very posh. Mm. Lancia. Yeah. Anyway, continuing on with what uh, Mark what Mark Ambrose was saying. Uh, he gave us an anecdote here. He says he doesn't know if it's true or not, but he he'd heard that the German SS used to to uh, determine whether somebody was an English spy by asking them to pass uh, one of two bottles of vinegar or Worcestershire sauce, and depending on what how they pronounced the Worcestershire, like it was a sort of trick to get them to say the word and then mm, tell mm-hmm, whether or not you mm-hmm. were uh, uh, a British spy or you were actually German and that kind of stuff. And, and it's, he, he goes back to the the Great Escape movie where the you know the uh, SS officer says to one of the characters, actually the leader of the group, you know, good luck. And the guy goes, yeah, thank you. And then realizes, oops, yeah. <laughs> supposed to be speaking yeah, German. Yeah, similar to, there was a scene in uh, Inglorious Bastards, the Quentin Tarantino movie. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of similar. Probably it was inspired by, by The Great Escape, actually, where yeah. where they did the same thing, except it was they, oh, I forget exactly, but I think it was holding up, they said, hold up, you know, yeah. the n- number three in your fingers. Yeah. And and now I forget which, which is which, but one of them, either German or the UK, mm-hmm. used uses a thumb to count mm-hmm. so they start mm-hmm. counting on with the thumb right and right. the other one starts on the what is it the index, index finger. finger yeah yeah so so if you were one of them you'd hold up three fingers and right. and if you were the other you'd hold up a thumb and two fingers 
Right, right. Yeah, and that's how they copped them in that one. Huh. How do you do it in Canada? Counting one index finger. Okay, yeah, so that's how we do it here, too. Yeah, well, it's funny, yeah. though, as I'm doing that, I'm, I'm using my left hand. I don't know why maybe you count with your left hand and you have your pencil in your right hand or whatever, but, but my mm-hmm. thumb is extended, even though I, I start counting on my index finger. Mm. Right, like a one, two, and then, it, then, then my thumb. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if you ever remember the, the uh, back when you are installing on the original Mac Classics, they used to have this animation where they were, you know, they, instead of having a hourglass or a watch, mm-hmm. they actually had fingers folding in yeah i remember that sure and it used but yeah. but but they reverse the animation so first of all the thumb would fold in then index you know middle ring and then baby finger and then mm-hmm. we would play the animation in reverse which is if you think about it, it's really hard to do right so i used to always watch that and just like and then, then so you lift up your baby finger first then your ring finger then your middle finger then your index and then your thumb right to do it backwards it's a little bit not of trivia that, for folks it's not that hard i'm trying I'm doing it right now and it's, it's not, it's not, it's, it's not ter- I'm, I'm not saying it's terribly difficult it's just it's not yeah. not natural or it doesn't feel natural yeah and Anyway, moving on. <laughs> it's a lot that. harder to have your full hand open mm-hmm. and fold down your, your pinky finger. finger first. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fold down your pinky finger first. That's really hard to do. Well, because your tendons are, are wired right. up differently, right? So Yeah. yeah. Anywho, okay. um, anyway, enough yeah. of that. Moving on. <laughs> More than just coat, folks. Um, so we talked a couple of months ago about this, or uh, during uh, the Black Hat conference, in, in the, which I think is around WWDC, now I think about it, in Vegas, uh, about this cable called the... Uh, OMG cable that somebody had created a prototype for, and the idea was that it has a Wi-Fi hotspot in the cable. It looks just like a lightning cable, right? Um, you plug it, you plug your somebody, you lend your lend your cable to somebody to charge their phone and plug into their Mac, and then creates a wireless hotspot that lets you into their Mac, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of sounds a bit fishy, knowing Apple and their security. But you know, who knows? Maybe there is a way around that. Um, mind you, you know, I didn't post that that uh, that exploit we were talking about last week on our Slack. Maybe we'll grab that in a minute. But yeah, so now this this thing, this uh, lightning cable, the OMG cable, is going into mass production now. So That's it's, not good. It's not cool. Yes, it's another yeah. another thing to worry about, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess everybody uh, put some kind of distinguishing mark on all your cables so you yeah. can know that they're yours. Yeah. yeah. Don't use somebody else's cable. Yeah. Well, you, I kind of wonder, though, wouldn't you think that if Apple knows this stuff is coming, that they would kind of build defenses for it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, you know, how many existing cables are out there now that and existing hardware that won't have this defense? Yeah, I, I don't I don't really know how the details of how it works, so I don't know how protectable it is. Don't well, know. Apple still does publish security um, security patches for older older operating systems. Because I, I saw one the other day just uh, for a real little computer that I had mm. fired yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that kind of scary stuff. And what we were talking about though is I think we're, we had it in our Slack. I'll grab it here. Where was it? Uh, just code. Um, yeah, this massive iOS exploit affects several iPhone, iPads, and Apple has no patch according to this article. This is out of uh, mobile syrup. But this exploit doesn't really have a, well, we don't know. We don't know whether it, whether anyone's actually figured out a way to do anything with it. Mm-hmm. There's So it's not an ex, it's not really an exploit. It's a vulnerability, right? Right, right, yeah. Oh, the thing about jailbreaking, yeah, the fact that you can jailbreak a, a phone in, like, no time. Yeah. I guess that's the issue, right? So, yeah. I, we, I thought Apple had pretty much locked down all the abilities to jailbreak. I think it's a constant battle. Yeah, check M8 is in a jailbreak on its own. That would be checkmate, I think. Oh, okay, right. right. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm not into the skate lingo. <laughs> um, yeah. Axiom X, yeah. Or is it Axiom 10? I don't know. Yeah, and he's open sourced it up on, on, on the GitHub, right? So, mm-hmm. cool for, like, but again, like I think we were talking about on, like, who who, who jailbreaks phones these days? Like, they yeah. don't really need to do that anymore. Unless, you know, you're feeling impressed by the man, right? But then again, it's not 1960 anymore. Yep. There you go. Well, here's some code we could talk about. Um, I, was, right. I found this article this morning uh, about Swift memory management and it's uh-huh. interesting. I went through it on, uh, I hadn't really used that. I'd never really use the, the memory debugger in um, in Xcode. I, I did have some issues, but I don't know if you've ever tried it. But I, so I did go through this today. Um, but this article by um, Mikhail Rogwasi um, published on dev.to, which I don't know if it's the Toronto site or not, but... Um, oh, no, he's in Poland. So, yeah. Um, he posted an article here talking about um, memory addressing and, you know, it gives a definition definition of, of big Indian and, and little Indian. I don't know how, if I'm saying that right or wrong. No, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, talking about, you know, how, how the bits are broken up, uh, like a string of bits are broken up into, into bytes and then stored. And, you know, the the little Indian way is a, is a bit more efficient than the big Indian. Uh, I guess it depends on the amount of data you're storing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gives a couple of examples there. But what's really interesting about this is he goes through a couple of examples later on, because, um, you know, why do we care? Uh, you know, because he starts off with a traditional question that we all ask people in interviews is, you know, what's what, what's the difference between a struct and a class, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the easy answer is pass by value 
past by reference, right? But but there's a bit more to it than that. It's like where you know structs store their memory in the what's it called? Uh-oh. Not You're heat. On the spot, yeah. one. Is it? Um, I just as soon as I started opening my mouth, I realized. Yeah. Uh, it means S, structs you know, are on the stack. Stack and the heap. Classes right? yeah, are classes in the heap. heap, right? Right. Um, and and the stack is like like the amygdala. It's much faster than the heap, right? So and it's meant for um, things that just need to be used really quickly and then and then got rid of kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the things about them. They're more efficient that way. Uh, and again, structs are better for, for building um, properties that aren't necessarily going to be mutated and that kind of thing, like a longitude and latitude as an example and they use in Ray Wenderlich books. Um, so he goes through a couple of things here talking about uh, showing how to use the debugger, you know, basically build a, build a little, uh, um, create a variable, give it a string value, um, and then use uns- with unsafe pointer and print it out and puts a breakpoint in the code so when you run it, uh, you can stop it and you can go to debug menu item, debug when debug workflow and look at the view view memory and that shows brings up the, the uh, memory debugger and what issue I had with it Mark was that when I when I did break it it didn't give it gave me the memory address of, of 0x00 and I had to paste in the actual memory address but, so, but in the mm-hmm. view debugger at the bottom I forget what that pane is called um, where you know it shows you the uh, the properties that you've created in yeah, the uh, console window in the console yeah. I just copied the uh, the address yeah. from the console and pasted sure. it in and then I could see you know the layout of the memory right yeah, you know, I got to tell you, I didn't know this existed, yeah. and this would have been enormously useful oh, yeah. for some of the stuff that I've done in the past. Like when I was doing some networking stuff, where I, you know, where I was just building, um, well, you know, networking through a through a stream and just building, you know, some just structures byte by byte to send them to the stream, and just trying to debug some of the weird issues that would happen with that. This would have been amazingly useful. Wow, thank you for posting this, actually, and thank you uh, to the Mikhail for writing Mikhail Rogowski for writing this i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna use this often i think oh i know yeah. so so many reasons why this is a great great little tool i mean i i, I, I joke about derek salander because I, I sat next to him once at a conference a couple two three raven looks ago yeah. and he was just working on his original um advanced debugging book that he wrote mm-hmm. uh, where he talks about you know how to go in and change properties and stuff like that without running code uh, long before apple did their thing at wwdc last year not this year the year before yeah it's really annoying i went to publish a couple of uh, updates and now you have to produce a, a preview for the third generation iPad Pro and mm. the the big phone, the 10R, I think it is, or the 10X, 10X Max, 10X Max, I guess. Um, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, what is this pain called? What are you called? Which pain? What are you talking? So at the very bottom of your, you know, when you got Xcode and you've got the the proper, I think it's property viewer and then the console. You mentioned the console, right? Yeah, I just called the console. Yeah, but the other side, what's the side on the the left called, where it shows you each of the, you know, it shows you what you have in self, and you can look at instant. Ivars and stuff like that and see what they're yeah. assigned to. And Does that have a, a different name? I don't know. It has a name, yeah. I'm just remembering what yeah. it's called here. Quickly and around. Oh, da, 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 da. I used to know this stuff off by heart. I thought if I'd hover my mouse over top, it would tell me what it's called. You know? Yeah. Speaking of debugging, have you noticed in Xcode 11 that breakpoints are really, really, really slow? You know, you, you mentioned it last week and I actually saw somebody on Twitter. I, I highlighted it. I was gonna, I'll send you the link. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so you're not Is the only one solution? having this problem, Mark. Like another another guy sort of went, yeah. you know, because they were. Uh, this sort of was Ryan Nyson posted something about how he still uses print to de- debug, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like you know, print this, print that kind of thing. And uh, we used yep. to do that with Anis Log back in the day, and it's called caveman debugging when you right. do that, right? Sure. But, uh, Although it has it has its uses. Yeah, of course it does, right? And but then so do these debugger panes across the bottom. You put a breakpoint in, and you know, you make your breakpoint right. sing or whatever, make noises. Mm-hmm. I still can't get the name of this. What is this pane called? Well, the other problem in Xcode 11 related to the to the breakpoints is is uh, breakpoints that don't stop yeah. are are extremely slow. Oh. So in other words, if you have that box that's you know continue continue after hitting the breakpoint, yeah. continue execution, yeah. which you can use to log stuff uh, instead of a print statement, and it, and it really is if it if it worked as advertised, it would be much much better than putting print statements all the time because you never have to actually change your code. The problem is it doesn't really work right because it takes so long to to execute the print that it slows down your your app and mm-hmm. breaks you know. Asynchronous kind of stuff or anything that's timing dependent. Well, I can't. For, really kind of frustrating. I can't figure what the name of this thing is. So I'm, I'm going to call it the the property viewer. Let's say let's just call it that for now. Or sure. Variable debugger or something like that. I don't know. It has a name, but I can't remember what 
like used to know when I was teaching iOS and somewhere around here I have an Xcode cheat sheet that shows me what it is. But uh, anyway, ca- carrying on with this this article this guy wrote, um, Mikhail wrote, um, uh, he goes through some examples where he does a, uh, it shows how to use a view debugger. Then he does a copy by, copy by, by reference example and, you know, builds a class, you know, creates a, creates a variable, assigns some values to it, makes it, copies it to another object and then, then prints out the memory addresses of those two objects as you run through. And then he changes the, the second object and you see that both um, both memory assignments change, right? And this to, to, to show the, perf- the, the um, what we say about copy by reference, which, you know, we use in most classes, is that when you change one property, it also changes all the other instances of it, right? Um, and then... Uh, oh, if it's copy, copy by reference, it's all one instance. Um, and then right. the copy on right... Multiple pointers. Right? Multiple pointers to one instance. Yeah, and then... The one, one area of memory. Right. And then, and you can look at, you can look at as it changes, you can, using the memory debugger, you can, yeah, memory debugger, you can look and see at that stuff. And then he writes another example of uh, using uh, copy on write to show the difference with that. And, and, and then he finishes off with a copy by value where he, in this case, he uses a struct to show that the, the memory is, is much smaller. Interesting thing too is, is he talks about the, the size of memory that you store. Um, like he's got a very, he gets it, uh, creates a, a in, an integer value or int value, right? Um, and he shows that if you, if you, if you create the uh, int as an int eight, it takes up even mm-hmm. less space, you know? So, so between one change and another, it's like a, a, just a single byte difference between. Wait, less space than what? Than a regular integer, which is a 64-bit oh, integer, right? right? So Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, you need yeah. 64 yep. bytes, yep. even though you're only writing like maybe one, you know, one, one character change or one, you know, like the difference between mm-hmm. one and two is just one bit, right? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so, and then he, he shows the example of in-out par- parameters, which I think uh, we've talked about before, where they're, um, you know, I'm trying to remember what the hell they are. Um, there's a more efficient way of, of, uh, of uh, mutating values, right? So, but it's interesting with this unsafe mm-hmm. pointer thing. This is a, 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 the stuff you need to work if you work with C as well, right? In your Swift programs. Yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of uh, anytime you want to convert between say data data objects, you know, type data to just raw bytes. Uh, which again, when you're doing like networking kind of stuff, you do a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's other reasons, other places where you do it too. Uh, but yeah, whenever you do that, you have to do this dance with unsafe pointers and all that. And it, I have to say that that's it, still to me that's the one part of Swift that just feels unnatural, not quite yeah. finished. Yeah, it's like they they needed to do something, yeah. and they came up with this and said, "Okay, we're shipping it." Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, you know, for all of the the elegance that Swift has as a language in other areas, mm-hmm. uh, this is just downright clunky. I hate to say mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. but it is what it is. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of cases where I mean, maybe not in our day to day lives we, that we need to deal with C, but if you're dealing with equipment and and you know instruments and stuff like that, like actual physical hardware, you very often need to get mm-hmm. down to that level, right? So yeah, a lot of embedded, well, certainly almost all embedded embedded stuff is done uh, with just pure yeah, C, yeah. not even C plus plus, just pure C. No. Certainly not objectives. No, that's true. Unfortunately, that would be nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here's another quick hit. This is from uh, John Sundell posted posted this today. Uh, I kind of wondered about this, but I hadn't hadn't really gone too deep into it. But he posted today that the uh, Swift Playgrounds update. I guess I don't know if it was updated today or whatever. But uh, if you want to get into playing with Swift UI and combine uh, the Swift Playgrounds on iPad now supports Swift 5.1, which I think shipped. Is it 5.1 just shipped or 5.2? Um, became official, right? And then uh, and then uh, yeah. iOS 13 SDK, so Swift UI and Swift Combine. And he's got a, a screenshot here of a Playground, uh, basically doing. He's called, calling it Swift UI by Sundell, which is kind of an in joke. Um, yeah, you lo- loaded up Playground support so you can get a preview, and you're actually getting you know Swift UI previews. So if, yeah, if you don't, if you have an iPad and you don't want to dive into updating Catalina and that kind of stuff, and you just want to play around with this stuff, this is, uh, is, a, is amazing stuff. That's very yeah. cool. I'm gonna have to play with that. Yeah, yeah. It means that all of the other Swift Playground stuff has all become even more deprecated. I wonder if all of the Swift UI tutorials that Apple has awesome. published will they all work? On, That's what I'm saying. Like, like, like I still have some of the original ones from when when this uh, this came out, and some of those original games are still they don't run properly because they're written in the previous version of Swift. It tells you right on right in the app when you try and run it. This is written by this previous version of Swift, unless you want to go through and refactor all the code yourself. Well, I mean, but you know, you can do that. I just I just wonder if all the if all of the uh, yeah, the, the code? graphics libraries and all that are all fully fully operational on the iPad, yeah, I don't you know, know. playground. But I was cleaning up my 
Yeah. Oh, wait. It says there's no canvas feature in his text. Oh, really? Oh, you said Cam- somebody mentioned canvas here. Yeah, it says right there. The Swift UI support is still is super buggy and there's no canvas feature, but it's still fun. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So it's still cool, but that's less cool <laughs> than it would have been if you had the full canvas. Because right, right. that's kind of the main reason for, for needing oh, is that what the they Catalina called the, the built-in simulator kind of thing that's, that's in Xcode now? Yeah. Oh, okay. Canvas. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And that you could, well, it, it looks like it has the, the simulator part. Mm-hmm. So it'll show mm-hmm. you, it'll show you the output, but you can't, I believe you can't drag and drop things and construct your UIs graphically, visually, right, right. like you can in, in Xcode 11 on Catalina. All right. Okay. Which is too bad because that would have been cool. Yeah. Well, guess what? Um, we're already at the picks part of the show. <laughs> wow. Yeah. We, we have Hermie here to, you know, to keep, keep the gap going. Um, yeah. 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 So, and, but my picks aren't, they're not, they're not, they're not like great picks this week. I've got, I've actually got five of them. So they might as well just, I could just move them into the actual part of the show, but. Okay. I'll borrow a couple of years. Yeah. So, well, I don't know if you saw this one here, but we can probably talk about a few minutes about this one, but it's called the reverse interview. And I often tell uh-huh. people when, you know, when I, when people join the companies I'm working at and they're, they're walking around with a PC and they're dragging their heels and whatever, I'm like, dude, you should have asked for a Mac as part of your, your onboarding. Like you should have said, I'm not coming to your company unless you give me a Mac. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what's interesting though, about this reverse interview is, and I've seen this a couple of times in, in, in different places here. And that's the, the questions you should be asking when you're applying for a job, not just, don't just, you know, go in there and, and, you know, hope and pray that they hire you. You, you need to find out about this stuff. Mark and I were talking about medical benefits before the show. And, and that's a huge thing. If you're like, especially like from, you know, if you're a Canadian coming into us, it's a, that's a hurdle you have to think about. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so here's some example questions you could ask, like, obviously you, you, what's, you know, what's the plan for on call? Um, what tasks will I be doing in, in a usual day kind of thing? You know, what does your onboarding system look like? You know, like, is there going to be like, like, you know, like when you go to Facebook or Google, there's like a two, almost a month or two of like, you know, going out and just being like an intern, even if you're a senior developer to sort of find out where your best fit is kind of thing. Right. But not every company does that. Right. Like some of them just throw you right mm-hmm. into, here's a bug, go fix it. Right. Um, yeah. And then, you know, what about, uh, what's the expected number of hours people are, are meant to work? Um, you know, where I was talking to somebody about the other day about that flexible, we were talking about this, we were months ago, about flexible time, you know, where, or flexible days yeah, off, flex you know, uh, where they don't really define what your, your time is like, but I think the expectation, as long as you get your work done, you can take as much time as you need, you know, for personal things, whatever. But that's, yeah, most, most tech companies are like that. You, they have flex hours where maybe there's some certain core hours of the day where you're supposed to be there because you need to go to meetings yeah. and you need to interact with people. But very often you have a lot of latitude. You know, some people like to come in early in the morning and, and leave in the early afternoon. And some people like to come in later and stay and stay all through the night. And it just kind of depends on the yeah, person. Yeah, is that cool? I mean, like, you know, where I currently work is, you know, as long as you put your time in, it doesn't matter what time you start or what time you end, as long as you mm-hmm. put your time in, right? Um, yep. On the tech side, you want to ask, you know, like simple things like what's your stacks? What, what, what kind of stacks do you have? Like what kind of apps are you using? What kind of frameworks? You know, are you Carthage? Are you Pocopods? Are you neither? Um, you know, what about how do you do source control? Mind you, you know, they should be asking you when you're being interviewed what, what, whether you're familiar with source control. How do you test stuff? How do you track bugs? Um, you know, how do you prepare for, de- is, your, is the code backed up? What happens if, you know, the, the sprinklers go off and destroy all our computers, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Ask them about the vision, you know, do they do static code analysis? I'm just picking things up by random here. You could ask about the size of the team and, and how much, you know, how much, uh, you know, what the level is in terms of uh, the, the other team members, like generally, I mean, you, you don't need to name names or whatever. Um, you know, uh, what happens if you don't like an idea and you need to push back, you know, um, what if you miss a release target, you know, how do you track people's progress, all kinds of different things that you could be asking about, you know, because you want to make sure that when you go in that you, like, like I said before, just because you're applying for a job doesn't mean you have to accept the job based on, on the fact they're going to give you money and a, a job. I mean, maybe, maybe it's a horrible place to work. I've taken jobs before where I knew within two days I was in the wrong place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, ask about the company, obviously. Of course, you want to do, make sure you do your, your homework before you go in there, you know, um, you know, find out about the company, you know, like in where I currently work, you can actually apply for patents, you know, if, if you come up with something uh, original and they'll, they'll, they'll sponsor you on that, which is kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how do you deal with conflicts? You know, how is it, you know, how does the team deal with toxic situations, you know, and about the business, like, is the business making money? What's the long run vision for the company? You know, um, how do they make the money that they make? You know, um, lots of different things. There's a really interesting thing about, you know, of course, compensation, time off we talked about. And um, yeah, you can, you can do something. There's something here called a Joel test, which I'll 
have to look after the after the show. But yeah, this is posted on GitHub, so I'm sure it'll it'll probably change over time. But yeah, these are some good uh, good pointers mm-hmm. to. Uh, yeah, this looks pretty good. Yeah, I recommend everyone go through and just at least give it a read. And there's definitely a few things in here that I'm like, oh yeah, that would have been a good question yeah. to ask at some point. So my next pick from Twitter actually comes to us from Patrick. Uh, he's at Hoverboard. Um, Catalina re- has removed the ability to to choose allow apps downloaded from anywhere. Radio button is part of the security pane. Um, and uh, yeah, so mm-hmm. obviously Apple's concerned about security and making sure you're not going to go and you know destroy your Mac by downloading some unknown code and that kind of thing. But if you want to, you can actually go in and you can you can change the setting. And there's a post here. I'm not going to read it out. You have to look at the show notes link here. But you can go back in and turn back on the enable that particular choice so you've got you know allow, allow apps to download from the app store allow app stores with identified developers or anywhere which is nine times out of ten you're going to download something from the web or whatever uh it's not necessarily going to be signed by apple although you know getting getting signed uh, apps signed from a trusted developer is always a good thing you know that's one of the reasons why apple does have uh these um well I remember we were talking a couple of months back about this yeah, whole yeah. uh catalina was going to require notarized yes. yeah exactly uh developers or notarized apps and it looks like and we were saying we were wondering if if would you be able to turn that off because it seems yeah. like my computer if i if i want to take that risk i should be able to turn that off and uh, it looks like this will do that I, i'm assuming i'm assuming that when they say identified developers that's what they mean that but what they mean by that yes, is yes exactly what they mean yeah, yeah. so this allows you to do that but it, but it seems like uh they're making it a little bit harder than they could have yeah, yeah you, got, you have to know this this uh, special command yeah i mean like, yeah and that's why we're not quoting it reading it out here on my you know liability and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, again, you, you, it's up to you if you want to do this. We're not advising you to do it or not. Um, yeah. Chances yeah. are I'll probably do it myself. But, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, but that's because it's my Mac and I'm not worried about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, it's good to know. It, it, the thing, the notarized thing that we were talking about, which, uh, it was, yeah, the show when Lexus was on, uh, we were talking about this, right? Right. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So uh, another interesting thing, uh, this is uh, posted at, uh, pointed out to me by a friend on the Ray Wunderlich Slack team. Um, he posted this uh, thing and, uh, uh, it's an app called Penbook. It's on the App Store. They celebrated the fact that they went live on the App, on the app Store last week on the 24th. And it is a note-taking app, you know, written completely in Swift UI. They say so. Nice. Yeah, it's a the it's called Penbook. And if you look on their site, there is Penbook for Windows. So I'm, I'm sure it's, I think it was an existing app, but they've taken it and ported it over using Pencil Kit, which we've talked about, and mm-hmm. and the iPad OS, right, and and Swift UI. And it's got that that uh, pen um, paradigm we were talking about uh, where you get the I don't know if you've seen in, you're, are you running uh, you're running um, iOS 13 you know when you go to the mem- memo thing and yeah. photos whatever you get that sort of like little pen kit you can choose a color and right. style right. and marker that's pencil kit or mm-hmm. I believe that's pencil kit yeah so the link here to download I downloaded it gave it a, gave it a try I've got to break up find my pencil and try it out but I tried it with my finger it worked pretty well you know mm-hmm. if you like writing with your finger but <laughs> um, I might have to try this one so is how much does this one cost or is it free it wasn't or? very expensive yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. got my head I think it was like it was less than less than five. It wasn't wasn't inexpensive, but it wasn't. Uh, or actually, there's a uh, there's a couple of links I've got here. One is to the actual site. Um, yeah, they show pictures of the, the pen kit as well. I'll open up my iPad and how to take a look. We'll get the official U.S. price. Yeah, but I've got a link here for Penbook. Uh, they're they're Substack. They're talking about how Pencil Kit worked for them. Um, interesting. Talk about the the tool drawer, which is what that thing is called, where you choose your markers and your colors and your thickness of your line. And it looks like it's free. Is it free? Where is it? Get? There's a get. Get? Oh, I thought it was... Yeah. It has in-app purchases, so... Um, oh, wait a minute. They're asking me for my password? What? I don't remember my password. The app store is asking me for my password. Yeah, I think... It, oh, instead of your fingerprint, you mean? Yeah. Well, there's there's a timeout on how or often... face ID, actually. There's a timeout on how often you use your, your... It'll accept face ID or touch ID, right? I think once a week it'll ask for a password, and... Yeah, I guess actually, so. I think uh, we were talking about this at work the other day, that I think face ID is more often than, than touch ID, in terms of when it'll ask you to verify that you're really who you say you are. I always thought it was because I, you know, put my finger in my mouth or I'm eating a sandwich or whatever, right? Yeah. I don't remember what my password is. <laughs> Do you not use one password, not- Mark? 
I don't use one, one password. No, I use I use uh, I use iCloud password. Oh, do you? Well, you can look up your iCloud yeah. passwords. Yeah, yeah. In Safari, you go under security in Safari, and you can you can enter your Mac yeah. password and see your see your passwords. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not on my Mac. I'm on the iPad. Oh, okay. Well, if you are using one password, you'd have access to your passwords on your iPad. No, I have access to them too. <laughs> one password yeah. brought to you by Agile Bits, not a sponsor of the show. But okay, passwords and built in Toronto. Yeah, by you have to go. Hmm? You have to go into the uh, settings app. Oh, in Safari and go down to Safari and look at passwords or? Yeah. I know how to do it on my Mac, but I've never really tried it because I have one password. I don't need it, but yeah. And then I got to find the right one for the Apple store out of the yeah. hundred or so Apple.com passwords that are stored in there. You don't use your uh, same uh, same password? For the store and for I wasn't storing a lot of uh, passwords in my, in my iCloud myself. Yeah. See, I've got a whole pod for Apple.com here. Let's look at it. Uh-oh. Oh, maybe this is why it's complaining because there's a little exclamation mark next to it. Yeah. Um, so next uh, tip here is uh, something I've been wondering about for a long time, and I'm not sure if this is new to Xcode 11 specifically, but apparently Xcode 11 has spell checking now. Um, you can hit Apple Plus uh, with a semicolon to find the next misspelled word. Works for code, strings, and comment. And hmm. yeah, so Apple Plus, command plus and colon uh, show spell editor corrections. Well, that's that's nice, but I wish they would, I'd rather have them fix uh, code completion uh-huh. in Xcode than do stuff like this. Still, still think it's broken? Yeah, I think it's broken. Do you hit you hit the escape key when you want to force it to do code completion? It, it, it you know it puts up things that I don't that are not really relevant. Yeah often. I mean, I know, I know it doesn't know, but but still, it, it should be able to guess, you know, right. instead of putting up these crazy system level APIs, yeah. you know, put something up that, I'm, that I've used ever. <laughs> well, I, I find that it, ten, it does tend to use yeah. reuse things that you've used recently. Like if there's ever a choice between one or another, um, you know, declaration yeah. that you've used in the past, it'll tend to pick the one you used last time, if yeah. they're similar. One thing it's, it's, it's bad about is it, so, so, you know, you've seen my code, Tim, and, and you know that one thing that I like to do is name an instance of a of a class with the same name as the class name, except with the lowercase letter. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, that's kind of my my kind of style. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing that I've been noticing Xcode is doing is I will type in. Oh, the it'll make it uppercase. One. Yeah, it'll make it uppercase, yeah. even though it knows about the lowercase yeah. one, because that's that's a property on this on this other class. Right, right. It exists as a property, right. so it could choose one of the two, but it autocorrects it to uppercase, mm-hmm. which is very annoying. Yeah, yeah I, I wrestle with that one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting though. You know, I, I look at a lot of sample code on, from, from other people and of course I'm, I'm reviewing mm-hmm. code all the time and it's interesting the ways people use to name things you know um, yeah everybody, everybody sort of has their own little style but uh, yeah it's always it always bothered me as a new user that that uh, like like you said if you had a class name and you, and you created a, an instance of it with lowercase it always I always wondered because I used to always get confused by the two right oh yeah. yeah so not really understand I mean I do understand the distinction but now but when I was first learning it was really tough like which one of these guys am I doing here and yeah 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 you got to learn the syntax mm-hmm. well the the meta meta syntax right. I yeah, guess. Yeah. Is, is really what it is. Yeah, i'm still trying to find my password here under our last uh our last um pick and it's actually a double pick because uh, and we're back to try combine which is uh, marin Todorov's site um he's posted here mm-hmm. uh, this one this week is about combine combine function builders but i was uh, i didn't read the property wrappers in combine we've been talking about these property wrappers quite a bit since uh the new things came out like you know We've got the oh, and they keep changing the names, and I'm not going to go into them. But yeah, so these these at at things that we've been talking about, right? And they're apparently called property mm-hmm. wrappers. But uh, Maron's got an yep. interesting uh, article here describing you know the different ways you can use property wrappers in, in with Combine. Um, and that was last week's article. This week's article, as I said before, is Combine. Um, oh, I just clicked on this Slack page by mistake. Uh, today today's article or yesterday's article published on the 30th, I guess not yesterday, a couple of days ago, uh, is about to combine and function builders. So I wonder if you had a chance to look at any of this stuff or Mark, or if you're scanning it. I have not had a chance to look at it. I'm possible. looking at it right now. Yeah, I was, but I put it down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I haven't had a chance to look at it, but uh, it looks pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I have to admit, I haven't really dug into this stuff all that much yet. Too busy with other stuff, but uh, it's uh, definitely one of the things I need to start doing soon. I'm going to be traveling a little bit this weekend, so maybe I'll do yeah. that. Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, you know, if you're looking for a good source, Marin was one of the first people to work with Ray on the Ray analytics site now works for a company and that sells fruit down in california um mm-hmm. yeah so interesting stuff so that's uh that's my pick for my picks for this week i have to do double duty picking for mark and jaime to this week so triple duty, triple duty yeah there you go there's a real short show for you folks that's it for another yeah. week so hey mark if you want to get in touch with you how would they do that mark r 
That's mapsoft.com. All right. And as usual, I am Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine. It's the best way to get a hold of me. And uh, we'll see you. We're going we're gonna to take a pass on next week. We'll put up one of our best of shows, and I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, But otherwise, we'll talk to you guys in the future. Bye. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Actually, last week I was playing around with the idea of uh, putting the show up on, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, YouTube. Oh, yeah? That's the, yeah, because I was on that podcast last week, uh, the one I was telling you about that I recorded a couple of weeks ago, they, they came out on Monday, the one about yeah. neuroplasticity, uh-huh. and they, but they publish their, they do like a snippet to YouTube, and then they, they actually publish the whole show on YouTube, so their hosting provider does that. So I went through, he sent me the script that he uses to, to make the, um, the short ones, but I just took the whole show and just put it through using, you know, FM. FFmpeg. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah, just running, running one of those scripts and and it, what you so you make an image and then um you 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 make the movie and you burn the image in rather than like having, you know, I suppose we could if we really wanted to get fancy, we could have like, you know, pictures of stuff that we're talking about on the show as we're talking about it, but or or just uh film a record player playing a 45. Yeah. Well, see this have this you, is the you've thing. You've seen that, right? Uh, this is how this is how people I don't know if they still can do it, but they used to do this. Yeah. I think it was to try to get away with copy getting around copyright stuff but they probably oh, yeah, yeah. got yeah so so basically what they would do was if they wanted to put a song up there right which you're not allowed to just put a song you mean up, like I a guess, live or, or an actual recording oh you mean an like actual, oh, yeah. an actual recording yeah so yeah. They, they'd they'd put a video of them playing a record oh, of yeah? the song yeah huh. so you can still hear the song oh cool but but the video is not of the song it's of them playing the song right right so i guess they could get around i think that's that was what the reasoning for it or maybe it was just kind of boring to look at a still image so they yeah. Put something up there. I don't know. All right, that was it. Short one. It's over. Uh, so, any any live music lately? Um, you know, I, I I don't know if I told you this, but I saw three concerts last weekend. Three last wow. weekend. That's yeah, long. I went. To, so I went to one on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Wow. Yeah. So it was pretty pretty uh, pretty heavy uh, week for anything. Uh, and I saw a movie in the middle of that too. Right. So wow. my brain was addled. I went and saw that new uh, Brad Pitt movie, the um, Ad Astra. Mm, haven't which seen is, that one. I think it's Latin for To the Stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna like, spoil anything, but like he he does these trips where he's an astronaut and he's got stubble uh, like you know like five o'clock shadow stubble beard yeah. and he'll travel from here to neptune and when he takes off his helmet he's still got stubble beard and as you know i don't know if you know this or not but when you travel from here to neptune it's not going to take you like 50 days it's going to take you like a year and a half two years maybe oh, maybe he shaved and <laughs> maybe he, decided, he shaved maybe he decided to celebrate his last day maybe he shaved every day fastidiously the entire time or every second day so he had stubble the next day right well no only on the last day to celebrate that he was there he didn't right. shave he took a right. day off from that's true. Maybe maybe that's yeah. Obviously, that must be what it is. That's but yeah, definitely yeah. the explanation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's what it is. Yeah, notwithstanding the fact, like, what did they eat in that entire time that they went from point A to point B? Right. So, unless they went into suspended animation or something, maybe that's the the reason, right? Well, I don't know. I haven't seen the movie. I didn't know that they didn't go to suspended animation. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Spoilers, Dan. Thanks. I know. Eh? Well, that's what they do in the. There's a movie called I think I've talked about it before in the show called Journey to the Far Side of the Sun. Yeah, and I've seen that movie. Yeah, it's by Jerry Anderson, the guy who did Thunderbirds and, and Space 1999. That was, that was one of the first movies I ever saw when I was a kid. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Real, yeah. I, if you ever watch it again, it's really slow. It's like watching paint dry. I bet it is, yeah. Well, it's because it yeah. came between, like I tried to explain to people about Star Wars, why Star Wars was so amazing, was, you know, you had 2001 Space Odyssey, which is a great movie, right? Yep. And like very cerebral, cerebral and, and makes you think and all that kind of 
stuff. And then you had movies like like the one I just mentioned, Journey to the Far Side of the Sun, which is like like it's a good movie, great story, great special effects and stuff like that for its time. Mm-hmm. It looks very much like a, an episode for Thunderbirds, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. in terms of special effects. But um, yeah, it was like watching paint dry, like you know, watching these guys, you know, go into suspended animation. It wasn't like on uh, Interstellar where they had a really cool way of going in, or or even Alien where they had those little beds that they lay in, you know, same sort of idea. But because uh, that's what Star Wars did was it had that sort of you know the moving the camera instead of moving the model kind of thing. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So they you know it kind of just blew the doors off in terms of special effects and speed, right? I mean, obviously Star Wars happens like you know like really quick, you know. Well, it was really a western just in outer space. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it had that sort of pacing, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But even pa- even westerns, I mean, you know, you know, western you watch somebody go from one city to the other, and you know, it's like you know the the, the film reel changes and they're they've arrived. But you know, back in the day, riding on a horse, you would been riding for like a week to go from one place to another, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah but well, they it depends don't, where. Yeah. <laughs> they don't play that that they don't play that out in a in a, a movie, right? So. Well, it wouldn't be a pretty a very interesting movie just sitting sitting there for a week watching someone ride a horse. Yeah. Well, back in the seventies, there were a few movies where like they were like twenty four hour long because they 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 wanted to have like things happen in real time, right? Yeah, they're art films, right? Yeah, yeah, art films. Yeah. And then there was that girl, uh, the 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 uh, activist um, on climate change, Greta Storm Thornburg, I think. Her name, what's her name? Storm yeah. Greta. Let's yeah. call her Greta. Yeah. Right. She sailed from you know where she is in Europe to North America to prove that you know because she wasn't going to get in a plane and fly over here that the, right. you know sure, her carbon, carbon footprint would go through the roof, right? So, right, right. But she did, took her like you know a few a week or something like that. Yeah, it wasn't quick, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So no new music recently. I'm going, going to see uh, oh. Experience Hendrix on Friday. Are you? Yeah. Who's playing Which, that? Uh, Dweezil Zappa. Is he? Okay, cool. Yeah, Joe Satriani. Mm-hmm. Um, Buddy Guy, Billy Cox. Buddy Guy. Oh, yeah, Buddy Guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah they just kind of wheel him out for a song, you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, who else? There's a couple of others, too. Uh, Eric Johnson is going to be there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, somebody sent me the lineup. Hold on. Well, you have some uh, events coming up, but I got to check and see. Okay. Buddy, to guy, to Buddy Guy, Billy Cox, Joe Satriani, Johnny Lang, Doozle Zappa, Doyle Brumhall II. I don't know who that is. Eric Johnson, Mato Nanji, Kenny Aronoff, the Sly Brothers, and Henry Brown. It might be Henri Brown. But it's Hmm. Oh, I'm going to see Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. In February. Yeah, they're kind of new movie coming out. Yeah. Now, my last event was Chichin Chong. We talked about it last week, right? And then in October, I'm going to see Bob Dylan and oh, really? Steve Hackett. Yeah, I just saw the Steve Hackett show. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. I could spell it for you, but I won't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know he does Selling England by the Band. Yeah, that's just what part of his show. And uh, just... Spectral spectral Mornings. Yeah, yeah. Is it Spectral Mornings Spectral Evenings? Spectral Morning. Spectral Morning. Not one of my favorite albums by him, but still. No, still mine either. But, yeah. but Selling England by the Pound is one of the better Genesis Albums, yeah, sure. yeah. I've seen there's a, there's a group called here called Musical Box. I don't yeah, think I've seen. Yeah, I've seen them. Yeah, they do. They do Lamblights down Broadway and selling them by the pound. And yeah, I saw them do Foxtrot. Yeah, yeah. That the Foxtrot costume that he actually wears is that originally Peter Gabriel's costume, eh? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Because Gabriel gave him all the gave him all the stuff that they used yeah, back yeah. in the, the props and stuff, right? Yeah. So one of our Waterloo interns mentioned the um, uh, classic music. What is it? Classic classic albums live. Yeah. Classic albums live. Band. Oh, really? Eh? Yeah. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. I've heard of them. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I looked on my. On, if I look on set list, I think I've seen them the most. Yeah, uh, definitely like fourteen times. I think for me, it's still Grateful Dead is still number one. Well, yeah. How many times have you seen them? Uh, like twenty four, I think. Wow. But you know, with them, it was they would come to town and you'd go to like all four shows. Oh, would you? Oh yeah. Because oh, yeah. it'd all be different, yeah. right? Yeah, they'd all be different. Yeah, every show's different. Hmm. They never they never played the same show twice. I don't think. Well, maybe in the early 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 days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen classic albums live uh, fifteen times. Pink Martin eight times yes six times musical box six times apple plays zappa six times steve hackett right. four times oh i've seen him more than that oh really yeah i've only seen him twice this will be my third time i saw him play at markham theater back in like in 2005 it was just he was it was all acoustic nice yeah so it's really good okay for me it's grateful dead 24 hot tuna 23 king crimson wow. 13 yes mm-hmm. six king crimson oh yeah, yeah. 13 yes six mm-hmm. buckethead four fish <laughs> four oh, really? uh, okay. oh yes featuring john anderson trevor Rabin and Rick Wakeman three, so technically between the two yeses, it's nine. Yeah, I saw I saw John, um, Anderson, Rabin, and Wakeman. Wakeman, yeah, Wakeman's coming here. I think next week. Next week he's coming to uh, mm. Danforth Music Hall. Mm. The Grumpy Rockstar Tour, apparently, is called. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, and Roger not, I don't know three. most of his. Hmm? Roger Waters three. I'm continuing with down my list. Your McAlkinen three. Yeah. Uh, so if you lump that in with Hatuna, that's the most I've seen. Of any. Here's this must be the number of times I've yeah. seen yes because I've seen. Like, if you go to the top songs, I've seen Roundabout eight 
times, hmm. and you and I seven comfortably numb seven times. And Can you look at your user charts to see your list by bands? Uh, what do you mean concert? I'm looking at I'm looking at the. You're asking me where to look for that, or no? I that's the main list for me. It tells you bands, the bands by the yeah. number of times. Yeah, concert stats, and then if you go to song stats, you can see what how many songs what songs you oh, sure. play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good measure of whether you've uh, like I've seen comfortably numb perform seven times. So I've seen classic albums live do it a couple of times. I've seen David Gilmore do it once. And I've seen Pink Floyd do it twice. Mm-hmm. Right? First of the first, I've seen uh, seven times. But if you go, if you go out of, if you go to the, so just click on your name in the upper right. Yeah, I'm looking at my phone, by the way. Yeah. Oh, you're on your phone. That might be okay. That might be why. Yeah. There's there's a main page where the the first chart they show me before you dump, go into the other statistics page mm-hmm. is uh, the ranking of of bands and the number of times you've seen them in order. Yeah, so I'm looking at that. Yeah, I've got classic albums, oh, okay. 15, Pink Martini, 8, okay. yes, yeah. 6, Music Box. Yeah, that's what I was reading at the beginning. I see. Okay. okay. But then I went to the more stats. and uh, mm-hmm. So what's your what's your top venue? Massey Hall, 46 Come, times. 40, wow, 46. Wow. Yeah. I'm a little bit more spread out. My main yeah. one, I was kind of surprised by this, was the Mountain Winery in Saratoga, Yeah, which is now our local one. Uh, that's 19 times. Then the old Worcester Centrum in Worcester, Massachusetts, <laughs> 14 times. Yeah. Fox Theater in Oakland, 13. Greatwood Center for the Performing Arts in Mansfield, Mass. Yeah. Uh, 10 times. The Fillmore, 8 times. Well, Warfield, see, it doesn't, it doesn't help times. when they change the name of the places, too, because like now, Budweiser's Theater, yeah. I've seen 12 shows there. I've seen 15 shows at the Molson Amphitheater, and I've seen... So that's the same place. It just, it just changed mm. the name, right? Yeah. And then the ACC and the Scotiabank are the same place. Maple Leaf Gardens, where the Leafs used to play back in the day, I've seen five shows there. So, yeah. Interesting. So I was Zappa there. So Peter Gabriel there once. Yes, I saw. I saw yes in nineteen seventy nine there. Yeah. Massey Hall. I've seen, well, I've seen jazz actually. Massey Hall is like pretty pretty accessible for me. Same as Danforth Music Hall is just around the corner. I could like five minute walk from my house. Right, that one makes sense. Mm, yeah, mm, yeah, interesting. Diana Crawl. I remember seeing her. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So the last yeah, I saw yes with uh, John. It says yes featuring John Anderson, Trevor Rabin, and Rick Wakeman. Yeah. They actually toured under the name yes. And you probably saw Anderson Rabin. What was it? Anderson Bruford Wakeman. Huh? I never right? did see them. No, I, I never saw them live either. Yeah, I don't YouTube. know why. All my friends went and I was doing something that night, I think, so I didn't go. So in 79, I saw the, you know, the, the album Yes Songs, mm-hmm. right? So in 79, they basically played Yes Songs with uh, Tormato and Going for the One. Mm. So they played like two songs from go- from Tormato. They played they played Going for the One. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, this was before the, you know, the, you know, the songs we did in the, in the 90s, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't pay attention to those too much. <laughs> I saw John <laughs> Anderson and John Luke Ponte once together. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I have here that I saw the police in, in November 16th, 1979, but that's not true. I got as far as the front door. They would, the bouncers wouldn't let us in. Really? Why? <laughs> well, because back, back in the early punk days, you could give the, the bouncers like 20 bucks or whatever, and they would let you in. Yeah. But they wouldn't let us into the police. Oh. Yeah. And I think it was the second time the police had come to Toronto. So they, I think they knew that the police was a big band, right? Oh, you didn't actually have a ticket? No, 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 no. We didn't need oh. tickets back then. You should just show up and give people money and they would let us in, right? But they didn't. <laughs> no. Oh, they did not. Not in this case. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's how it used to be, and probably still is. When you go to clubs, when you see small bands at clubs, it's like yeah, that. yeah. You gotta, gotta give the bouncer some money. Yeah. Yeah. It did feel did feel uh, kind of crooked, you know. So. Well, maybe they were afraid because because the police were inside. And True. They thought it was illegal. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come try their sheets with a 30 night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details